Welcome, welcome, welcome to Jewish Boston's The Vibe of the Tribe podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Jacobs. Joining me today is Isaac Akiba, a soloist with the Boston Ballet, one of my teachers at Boston Ballet School, and a fellow member of the tribe. Isaac was recruited to the Boston Ballet School from its city dance program when he was just nine years old and danced his way up the ranks to join the main company in 2009. He won a silver medal in the 2007 World Ballet Competition, is a member of the Serial Collective in the Cape, and taught dance in Israel over the summer. Some of Isaac's repertoire includes Benvolio in Romeo and Juliet, the Pas de Trois in Swan Lake, Puck in A Midsummer Night's Dream, and one of the sailors in the Leonard Bernstein act of Genius at Play, the ads for which were all over the MBTA this summer. So if you took the train, you saw them. And to date has danced 13 parts, including The Snow King, The High Jumping, Split Doing, Lead Russian Dancer, and The Sugar Plum Fairy's Partner Cavalier in 18 productions of The Nutcracker. This year's Nutcracker opens November 29th, and you'll have a chance to win tickets to a performance of your choice. So keep an ear out for later in the podcast for how to enter our giveaway. Hey, Isaac, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy rehearsal schedule to be here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. I'm just kind of running over from rehearsal. So how, how's all that going right now? That's oh, great. So we're working on something we do in March, actually. So it seems like very far away. But what we do is we rehearse things in our long rehearsal periods in the beginning of the season, and, and we come back to it later in the spring. So we set it and then we come back to it. And even while we're performing during the day, we rehearse. So we're also, of course, we're also rehearsing Nutcracker, which is coming up in two weeks, um, the week after Thanksgiving. So it's pretty busy. It's always busy, though. We're always doing like maybe three, four, five different ballets at the same time. Oh, so my God. Keeps you on your toes, literally. <laughs> <laughs> so this year, you have about 13 parts in the Nutcracker. How do you know when you're rehearsing what? How does all mm. that work? I actually am only doing three roles. In total, in my entire life, I've done 13 roles. Oh, my God. Yeah, so, I mean, it started when I was a kid, when I was nine, party boy. You know, then I was so happy to do Fritz, which is Clara, who's the main girl's brother. And then, you know, once I joined the company, I did you know, more complicated things and even simpler things. When, you, when you're in the quarter ballet, which is the main group of the company, you have to do a lot of, um, like, party parents and mouse and, like, side Russian. Um, so you're there, like, for almost every show. And, you know, now that I'm a soloist, I do certain things, and I do about maybe 18 shows of just this year I'm doing Tea, Snow King, and uh, Lead Russian. So I don't have to do all those kind of little roles anymore. That's good. Yeah. It and is good, yeah. The so. Lead Russian role is so much fun, too. So the Nutcracker is a story about a girl named Clara who's gifted a Nutcracker doll on Christmas mm. Eve and wakes up in the middle of the night to have it just come alive and transport her to this magical world mm. of the Mouse King and snowflakes and sugar plum fairies it's just mm -hmm. really beautiful mm -hmm. and there is a scene where it's all these people from all over the world really like mm -hmm. just doing dances from different countries right right that's correct yeah yeah well what's my favorite thing about the ballet is actually the music Tchaikovsky score it just really carries uh, the ballet and we do a lot of shows we do 40 to 45 and but always 
during the snow scene, the Waltz of the Flowers, like, it doesn't matter if it's the 40th show, you just always get goosebumps. The music is so beautiful. It's it's really incredible. Um, it, but yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful ballet, and I think that it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a ballet for families, ballet for kids, and they love it, and they're so happy to be there. And um, just to, us to, like, you know, share the share the uh, holiday cheer, I suppose. Yeah, so how, how does that work for you? You are Jewish, um, mm-hmm. and you're in the Nutcracker. You've been in it for 18 years. Mm-hmm. And the Nutcracker, while, you know, a seasonal masterpiece, mm-hmm. it does take place on Christmas. It's most right. closely associated with Christmas. Like, as a Jewish dancer, what do you take away from it? What do you What do you bring? That's. I mean, it's a good question. I think, you know, it takes place during Christmas. The, the opening scene is a Christmas celebration at the Silver House's house. <laughs> So, but other than that, Christmas is not very involved. And the dancing and the music kind of tr- transcends all of that, and everybody can really connect to it. I wish there was some sort of Jewish ballet. Um, there are, but not not like a, a holiday. Maybe in, maybe in Israel there is, actually, but I'm, I'm not sure. You know, I have my little menorah backstage, and, like, if, <laughs> <laughs> if the... Uh, we can't light candles in the theater, but uh, or I even have, have, like, a menorah app on my phone. <laughs> That's great. People are like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm doing my thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I can, I'll go home to my parents, and uh, we'll do Hanukkah, we'll light the candles. It's just, it just, it transcends all of, all of the, religi- the religious factors of... Uh, that that time good yeah 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 and it's just it's just such a beautiful ballet I love everything that Tchaikovsky's done that I've seen at least it's truly magical you know and like that's what Boston Ballet builds the show as Mm -hmm. right it's magical it's extremely entertaining it's beautiful people love it kids love it yeah Yeah. I loved it I saw it like two years ago Boston Ballet production and it Mm -hmm. was just truly like it was the first like professional ballet that I saw yeah. And it was just mind-bogglingly and, beautiful. And everybody comes to it. Jewish people come to it. Um, I got some tickets for uh, Syrian refugees a couple of years ago. Wow. Um, Muslims, they loved it. They were like, they had their kids. They absolutely adored it. And it's, so it's great. I mean, everybody can get something out of it. So tell me about the Syrian refugees. I think it was through uh, my mother was doing some work with my temple. And uh, I think they were just wanted to host them. They wanted to uh, just be kind and generous. And I thought going to the, the ballet would be something that they would like, something maybe they, they didn't get to see in Syria. Probably not. <laughs> um, I got them tickets, and I took them on a backstage tour afterwards. They were, they were very happy. I had a little a daughter there. Showed them the the snow sleigh and the sugar <laughs> and the costumes and the bear costumes. So it was great. I, yeah, made me feel good, and I think it made them feel good too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that also speaks to the universal messages behind the Nutcracker. You know, coming together, fantasy. Something that I didn't know that I just learned today actually mm-hmm. was that when the Nutcracker left Russia, the first shows that it debuted um, in England in 1934 and in Boston in 1940. Mm. The ballerina who played the Sugar Plum Fairy was Jewish. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Alicia Markova. Oh, really? I don't doubt that. I mean, there were so so many amazing Jewish dancers, especially um, 
and George Balanchine's time at New York City Ballet. And unfortunately, I don't know why, I've had this conversation with um, uh, stagers and ballet masters. I'm like, where are all the Jews? Where'd they, where'd they go in ballet? Um, because I don't know any. I, I mean, I know there's another Jewish girl in the company. There's a lot of Jewish dancers, but classical ballet dancers, you don't see so much anymore. So I'm like, What's, what happened? You know? Yeah. Strange. If there were a modern Jewish ballet, because, you know, you can't be, can't mm-hmm. create classics now. But if there was a modern Jewish ballet, what do you think it would be? Or what would mm. you want to see? Like there are um, spoofs on the Nutcracker, the Jewish mm-hmm. Nutcracker, the Meshuggah um, Nutcracker is Meshuggah a thing. Nutcracker. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I would like the story of Exodus to be told. Oh, that would be stage. so funny. <laughs> I think that'd be great. <laughs> that what it's such a theatrical story so i think it would do really well on stage you know so i guess someone just has to create a score and then yeah let's do it <laughs> let's get the funding <laughs> that would be pretty amazing like, wouldn't it? i yeah. mean it's just like it's like you know the what's that disney movie uh, prince of egypt yes you know hey <laughs> there can be miracles Ideas. when you believe <laughs> yeah. right <laughs> yeah yeah just need the funding get it <laughs> yeah that's the tricky part and the music too i mean mm-hmm. is there anything that leonard bernstein did that we can mm, do yeah, i'll look into it i don't know <laughs> i don't know if his like yeah i mean i don't know so much about his music obviously i've danced to some of his his work but off the top of my head i can't imagine his music going along with the exodus story but um hey who knows yeah yeah I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be a Jewish composer either, I suppose. That's true. But speaking of Jewish composers and Jewish ballets, Mm -hmm. um, most recently in September, you were in Genius at Play, Mm -hmm. which is a celebration of the choreographer Jerome Robbins. And you were in Leonard Bernstein's Fancy Free story of three sailors just having a night out on the town together. Jerome Robbins was born... Jerome Rabinowitz, like Mm -hmm. he's a Jewish choreographer. Yeah. Like what did that mean for you to be in? Mm -hmm. It's very special to me. Um, And I wish it was more well known um, about these people and and their background. And I don't know how much uh, being a Jew was incorporated into his life, but I mean, he was, and it's very important to me to to see that. I mean, ballet is is, a show business. So, (laughs) you know, Jews are always kind of like, you know, can be very successful in that area. Who knows exactly why? But, um, <laughs> you know, even in the past, we did a ballet by Leonard Jakobsen, who was a choreographer in Russia um, many years ago. Not sure of the of the date, but he is, he's passed away now. But um, he was a beautiful choreographer, but he was oppressed because of the anti-Semitism. In, in Russia during that time. So we did um, Padakat and Rodan of his, and actually we're doing it again this season. We're doing Padakat and Rodan. And there's a book about his life, very interesting book uh, called Like a Bomb Going Off. I always notice, like, if there's a, you know, it's important to me if there's a Jewish choreographer or even a composer, I'm like, yes, yay. <laughs> um, but yeah, that combination of uh, Jerry. And uh, Leonard Bernstein, it was great for me. I was very proud. Like, yeah, like I said, I wish it was, it was more well-known to people. I guess maybe in the Jewish community, or maybe, you know, more Jews would, would have come if, 
you know, they got the word out there like, hey. So you are very proud of your heritage and, and where you mm. come from. Um, you know, on your Instagram, you're wearing IDF shirts. Mm -hmm. You um, been to Israel twice, twice. now. Yeah. Can mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about that? Um, you were there over the summer, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. You know, growing up, uh, my mother always, uh, it was important for us to grow up with a Jewish identity. Going, so I went to Hebrew school, went to Sunday school, and uh, we would go to temple on the high holidays. And I guess, you know, it wasn't so important to me when I was a teenager, or even like in my early 20s. But, you know, as a person evolves, you start to think about who you are and like where you, your place in this world, like, uh, you know, it's always become like a bigger part of my life. And so I decided to go on birthright. I really wanted to go to Israel. You know, I've heard it's, it was such a good experience. So I went, you know, for two weeks. I had an amazing experience. I felt such a connection to the country. You know, they, I didn't do a religious uh, program, but they really made you feel like it was your home and it, where it's somewhere that you could belong. I felt an immediate strong connection um, with the country and with the people there. And then that was about three years ago. And then I was like, I really want to go back and I want to I be a part of the dance scene there because they have this amazing, fabulous dance scene. So I was like, I want to take part of it. I want to know what's going on because I want to spend more time there. Maybe I could teach, do some courses. It's becoming an even, even bigger part of my life. As I get older, I just turned 30. And so now I'm even, you know, I'm trying to celebrate Shabbat and observe Shabbat as much as I can, uh, going to temple more often, um, just learning about the religion because it's so complicated and mysterious and yeah. there's so much <laughs> knowledge to learn. So, uh, you know, I'm reading... Uh, books and um, I have a Hasidic brother actually who lives in Sfat and uh, we've been talking and discussing uh, Judaism. He just uh, visited us um, after my sister got married. So yeah, it's all very interesting to me. I just want to know more about it. I think it's, it's an important thing. Where do you think this pool came from to learn more, to be more involved? I think it comes from my, what's the right word? My I want just to have meaning in my life. And I think Judaism offers more meaning and it can, it can give you more meaning in your life. Um, and so as I, as you, when you're younger, you're just like, Hey, like, eh, what, what am I going to do? What are we going to do tonight? What are we going to do, what are we gonna do tomorrow? But you know, now I'm, I'm maturing and my, my spirituality is, I mean, like yearning for something more. So I'm, I'm just kind of a, going after that and yeah Judaism is very spiritual and um, so it's a good it's a good thing to study and learn more about yeah but that's really great too that you you're able to incorporate your full self where mm. like wherever you are and in whatever you're doing you know you said you have a menorah app backstage which mm. is cool for the Nutcracker um, and you were you know even so much so that you went back to Israel to teach dance mm -hmm. so can you share a little bit about that and how does the dance scene there compare to mm -hmm. the one here? In Israel, they, there's this uh, company called Batsheva Dance. Ohad Naharin is the director and choreographer. And he is one of the major figures in the ballet world. And uh, he, so a lot of young dancers their goal is to be a part of that company and it's quite small. So contemporary and modern dance is really big there. Um, ballet, not so much. Um, they have a lot of pop-up schools and smaller schools, 
um, but there isn't like okay, like a Boston Ballet School or School of American Ballet in Israel. There's a lot of little schools, so I felt like you know I would like to try and try and help um, with the classical side of dance and just uh, kind of slowly make my way. And make some connections in Israel so um, I could go back. And luckily, I, I really did um, make a really strong connection with uh, Rose Cassell, who's like one of the, she's like the queen of uh, ballet teachers there. And uh, everybody knows her, and she's this like amazing teacher. And uh, so I learned a lot from her, and um, I plan to go back and kind of like study from her, her, uh, her, her method of teaching ballet. So she's actually from South Africa. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I went to South Africa before Israel, and I didn't even realize there's a Jewish museum there. I didn't even realize there was like, was like this huge um, Jewish community there. Yeah, there is, because yeah. people fleeing the Nazis right. went to yeah. South Africa. That was one and of the places they went. Yeah, and I was like, whoa. There's like this huge kosher section. and what? like Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Orthodox people walking down the street. I'm like, where am I? I had no idea. I was like, cool. Yeah, I have some relatives who fled Russia and went to <laughs> South Africa. I was surprised. We're everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so you spent the summer in Israel mm-hmm. and South mm-hmm. Africa. Mm-hmm. How has your worldview changed? I guess I'm getting to know the different sides of the world, What's, all the things that are going on in I spent two weeks in Cape Town, and I was really shocked by the inequality there and the poverty there. Um, it's a great place. Um, there's just, it's, it's so, there's such a difference between the white people and the black people, or they call them they call them colored people there. Um, there's a lot of racism. I was like shocked by that, and it's wow. yeah, it's very very dangerous. Also, I was told like immediately like you just can't like walk alone at night at all like just oh yeah if you go out to a restaurant you uh just take an uber from a restaurant wherever you're going next you do, don't walk around outside so even though i loved cape town because of the beauty and there's really great sides of it the food is amazing and the, mostly the people are nice but it, it was a shock factor the racism that is it kind of like i mean it, it makes sense because like apartheid just ended in the 90s so i guess they're still going through it and of course we're still going through through it here yeah but I, I i was like okay i'm gonna read something about cape town so i picked up nelson mandela's autobiography a long yeah. walk to freedom and i finished that thing so fast it was amazing it's like 900 pages oh my god it's like the longest book i've ever read but going to israel right after that i was really looking forward to spending some time on the beach <laughs> <laughs> yeah because you can't really go i mean you could in south africa but there are sharks and also it was winter it was winter in july June. Yeah. But at winter, it was like, it's like 50 degrees there, 55 degrees there. So I was like, this is nothing for me. Yeah, that's nothing. <laughs> Living I mean, in Boston. Yeah. Um, and then being in Israel, my worldview, there's just a lot of, go- lot of stuff going on, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> What's like one lesson about your Jewish identity that you learned over there? In Israel? Yeah. I think Israel is an important place for Jews. And um, I would like to uh, possibly live there one day. That's what I learned. <laughs> it came. <laughs> like that's what I came out from. I was like, I, you know, I know it's a small country. It's not the easiest place to live because of the controversy, and I guess the danger. You never know. But but I think it's a, it's an important place for us and for for me. Where in Israel were you? 
Um, so I was in Tel Aviv, and then I traveled to Jerusalem four times because I was also teaching uh, with Jerusalem Dance Theater. And then I went to visit my brother in Sfat, which is three hours north, kind of near the Syrian border. I spent Shabbat with uh, with him. What was that like? Oh, <laughs> well, you know, on the way there, I was like, I have no idea what to expect. I was telling all like the secular people in Tel Aviv, I'm going to spend the Hasidic. Shabbat, and they were like, oh, wow, <laughs> like, get ready, and I was like, okay, I was like, all right, so I was like, I was a bit hesitant, you know, mm-hmm. so I got up there, and um, I've actually never met most of my eight nieces and nephews that my brother has had, and they, it was just amazing spending time with them and bonding with them, they were just so interested in my life, and like, what I, and they have no idea about my life, and like, what it is to be a dancer, and they also don't speak a lot of English, but being with kids, like, you don't really need to communicate through language. You just kind of, like, play with them. And yeah. so it was, like, showing them ballet, and they, they were they were running around and making me do jumps over and over and over again. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> And then, you know, I went with my brother. I went to shul with him. Um, I just kind of sat there and, like, read the English that was in the books, trying to be respectful. And there was some dancing. You know, I participated in the kind of shuffling around. Um, but also the people there were some of the, you know, my brother is obviously well known as a small community and, uh, he would introduce me to everyone and they were like, oh, wow, like you're a dancer, like, great, you, should, you need to keep dancing, you know, do what you're doing. Like, that's amazing. They're very positive and, and welcoming. And I, I guess I was sort of surprised by that. I don't know. I just never, I never, I didn't know what to, didn't know what to expect. So then we went back to his place and uh, had dinner and said prayers and, and I was kind of like thinking, oh, I'm going to leave, like, Saturday morning. And then I was like, I'm enjoying this so much yeah. and being with the kids. I was like, I'm going to stay as long as I can. So I ended up leaving like, late Saturday night and I got back to Tel Aviv yeah, pretty late. So I had a great experience. That's yeah. good. Yeah, it was eye-opening. It was like, you know, this family's like a normal family. All the kids are fighting and the, the boys are jumping at each other. And, yeah, it's like it's, it seemed just normal, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But that's really cool that you got to do that and have that experience. I mean, I don't really know if I know people who are like strict right. Shomer Shabbos, you know. Yeah. At least now. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I loved it. I was like, I loved it. Just like taking time for yourself and reflection and time away from your iPhone. And just like, of course, I wasn't going to pull my iPhone. like <laughs> Yeah. That'd be disrespectful. So it was nice just to sit there with each other and just be present. Yeah. You know. For a day, I think it's it's good. I mean, there's a point to it. Yeah, <laughs> so important. I mean, our lives are ruled by these tiny devices that just yeah, that's awful. I know. And now there's like, so on like the update, it tells you how many hours you've been on your phone. It's the best. <laughs> like 25 hours last week. Like what? Yeah, but now you can set <laughs> restrictions on certain apps, oh. so it'll it'll tell you like oh, really? you've spent, you know, like seven hours on instagram today <laughs> yeah but but you, you can also block it so like i can't use my social media apps after okay. half an hour yeah i mean i actually just i don't you go on facebook anymore i have it i don't even use it anymore <laughs> and i um, i don't think anyone does i haven't been going on instagram past couple of weeks maybe like once every couple of days i used to like wake up go on instagram you know 
it's bad. And I'm like, well, I, you know, I wake up and look out the window. <laughs> I don't know, maybe that's better. Yeah, exactly. Wake up, look out the window. But the cool thing <laughs> yeah. about Instagram too is like discovering certain things. Like I've watched so many right. fun little ballet videos. Yeah, I mean, it does connect us. There's good and bad things about it. Um, it does connect us. Um, it's just a balance. Everything's a balance. Yeah. Yeah. Just like in dance too. You got to balance. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So quick question. Do male ballet dancers ever go on point at all? Is that mm. ever a thing that you learn? Um, hmm. it's nothing that, it's not something we learn to do. And I would have to say, no, we don't go on point. There is an all man, all male ballet company called Ballet Trocadero, which they kind of make fun of ballets and they have men go on point. I think they're actually in, at the Joyce Theater in New York right now. And also like in maybe one ballet um, in Midsummer's Night Dream, I think like the, someone with a donkey head and has to go on point shoes. And then in James Gadelka's, he's a Canadian choreographer and he did a Cinderella and the two stepsisters men dance on point. Or is it just one of them? I think it's both of them. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole, you know, it changes everything, you know, so... I think they actually have to train, and they really have to train for it and learn how to do it. And speaking of Cinderella, that's another show Boston Ballet is doing this season, right? right yeah, we're doing uh, Sir Frederick Ashton's version with music by Prokofiev, and we did it for our 50th season a few years ago, and it's a, such a wonderful ballet. I love this ballet. You know, you're like, oh, it's Cinderella. It's like, I don't know, a silly story, but there's such beautiful moments that are it's so captivating. Um, the costumes are amazing, and it's also it's a comedic ballet too because the two uh, ugly stepsisters are men in drag, and that's also something I'm doing. So there's like a tall, like a really aggressive one, and like a short, kind of innocent, naive one, uh-huh. and so I'm doing that one. <laughs> Luckily, we don't have to dance on point. Yeah. But that's the comedy side of the ballet. I did not know that. That's mm-hmm. so fun. That'll be. And are you? Re- is that one of the ones that you're rehearsing for now? Um, no, we're not rehearsing for that now. We did that a few weeks ago actually like a month and a half ago oh my god so just so much yeah a lot and then we have to come back to it well they video everything so like before we rehearse you can watch the video and remember and <laughs> it's weird how like how many how many things like stick yeah in your body you yeah know? muscle memory so i want to circle back to your identity and judaism obviously plays such a huge part in your life um your father changed his last name from David Cohen to David Akiba. He's a photographer, right? And there was another mm. artist with the same name. Yeah. Well, I guess there was many artists with the name <laughs> David Cohen, just many people in general. Mm-hmm. So he uh, he decided to change it. I think it was like 1960. And why Akiba? Yeah, good question. <laughs> you know what? What he, what he tells me is like he was reading a book and um, he came across this name. Um, Rabbi Akiba, who was uh, one of the most important uh, Jewish scholars and sages in Israel. And I th- it just caught his eye, and he changed it to that. So it's um, it's funny because people think I'm Japanese when they don't meet me. They're like, oh, Akiba, that's a Japanese word. It means autumn leaves. Really? In, ja- in uh, Japanese, yeah. Oh, wow. And there's like areas in Japan, like, called Akiba so I don't know how that happened so I'm like I used to be invited to like the Japanese consulate parties 
because <laughs> I thought I was a Japanese dancer. It's like no, but I'll come and like <laughs> eat and the great food. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I, n- I never end up going. Yeah, I'm actually reading the book about Rabbi Akiba now. I'm like, I need to learn about this name. And uh, my brother talks about him a lot. And he's like, he was a very important figure. Well, I'm just getting into the book. Maybe we can like do another podcast after. Yes, I know nothing. <laughs> right, yeah. He, in the, well, I think the time was when the Romans were like, persecuting the Jews and laying down the law that they could not study Torah, um, he continued to study and um, teach. Um, and he had, uh, during that time, all of his disciples became really important people in the, in the in Jewish community. And um, he, he ended up being, uh, I don't know if it was crucified, but tortured until his death. Um, so he, and he was, a, I guess he, he's a martyr for, um, for that happening to him. Um, but he was, my brother says that he was very happy to give his life for uh, God. Apparently, I guess the legend goes, he, he uh, as he w- died, he was uh, resetting the Shema. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, pretty intense. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm still reading about it. And Akiba, too, to be, like, super cliche or whatever, mm-hmm. like, leaves fall with such grace, dancing, <laughs> right? So, you know, like, it works out in, like, multiple ways. Yeah, yeah I suppose so. I love fall. Fall's the best season. It's amazing. It's beautiful. I did have another question. Why is it important to you to connect with the Jewish community? They're my people. <laughs> I feel like it's important to connect with the Jewish community because I th- I think we're all we're all connected, you know, being Jews and and I uh, think um, we all work together and uh, share our lives and support each other because I, we're very important in this world. Beautifully said. And everyone listening has a chance to share a part of your life that brings you joy and magic. And they have a chance to support you this season. Thanks to the Boston Ballet, two lucky listeners will each win a pair of tickets to see Isaac and the rest of the Boston Ballet Company in The Nutcracker. This beautiful ballet is really just such a treasure for people of all ages and backgrounds and faiths or lack thereof. It opens at the Boston Opera House on November 29th and runs through December 30th. Go to jewishboston.com slash nutcracker for more details and to enter to win. That's jewishboston.com slash nutcracker. Isaac, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I had a really good time. That's our show. Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. Keep up with future episodes of The Vibe of the Tribe by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or Google Play, and by following us on social media at Jewish Boston. Talk to you guys soon.